Okay, so even though this is not the last case of our season, this is the last recording we're doing for season four, Outline of a Murder. Lena, go ahead and introduce yourself. Mom, make sure you give her plenty of time to get everything off her chest or she gets fussy. Hi, I'm Elena. I'm Mom. I want to make sure you were done. Ridiculous. Just ridiculous. She does this on purpose. Go ahead and say what you got to say. Anyway, Mom. (laughs) Mom knows that there are two things you can never eat for dinner. What are they? Does she, though? Do I? Obviously not. Lunch and, lunch and breakfast. You know, I'm having daughter jokes next time. You say that every year. My name is Sherry. This is Outline okay. of a Murder. <laughs> <laughs> See? You become fussy bottoms. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, I want to apologize. You know, this is... Thank you know the, the listeners are probably like thank goodness there's only two words to three of them because Sherry's voice is terrible. I have a little bit of a cold I'm fighting. Sorry if I sound like you know. Obviously I have a you know puberty issue or something of a young you know teenage boy. But I think I, it's oh uh, I think it's going to be better than the Jennifer one. I was struggling at the beginning. It kept wanting to cough and I was breaking up. As I was talking. <laughs> your body movement with it like you couldn't just do <laughs> We are recording remotely uh, on Zoom, so I'll have lots of video content for guys for a while. Uh, we do have a mini-series coming up that we'll probably record in February. Um, it usually drops in March, and it's going to be on guilty or not guilty. So we're going to do some cases where there's been question yes and uh, so i'm excited about that we've got peggy uh one of our fans of the show who's researching a couple of cases on that you know speaking of i want the john benet ramsey case solved i don't know what is taking so long i know that boulder has been really resistant and helping because they think it was the ramseys and that's it we've got a new da that supposedly is going to release the DNA for it to be tested. What a lot of people don't know, there are two unidentified DNA samples, uh, there's the balloons, that were um, taken, that were found at the crime scene, okay? And uh, it doesn't match the parents. So we've got stranger DNA um, and I, I thought there was only one. I heard the other day there's actually two. And uh, I would love for that one to be solved. It's time. They can definitely trace it through the genetic. You know, can we do that? And can we get this person off the streets? Or at least I, I want the dad to know who murdered his little girl before he dies. The mother's already gone. So, I just think they don't want to do it because of pride. Because they could have oh, released, yeah. released it later. Or, I mean, uh, back. They could have done a lot by now, but they just refuse to cooperate at all or with anything. There's one guy that I'm interested if he is one of the people that was involved, if he's a killer, he committed suicide. There's quite a bit of evidence uh, toward him, but uh, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if it was someone else. But anyway, 
speaking of guilty or not guilty, I can just categorically say that the Ramseys had nothing to do with the death of their daughter. This is categorically business. Like that attorney just said that categorically deny. What is, what is that? That means that it just, there's no room for debate in my mind that they are absolutely innocent. And it's a strange case. And I understand why people, the, the whole um, ransom note is what throws people. And it does me too. But what doesn't throw me is the fact that they had a footprint that was outside the basement window where they think that they gained entrance. And then there was also some DNA that does not belong to the family. And quite frankly, I can't think of a single case where a dad has garroted his daughter. I can't think of a single one in all the years I've done true crime. If there's a case, please let us know at outlineofamurder.com. I'd love to hear it, but I've never heard of a father garroting. That is like a sadist type deal that's usually stranger on stranger which speaking of by the way of a website all of our merch is up so super excited uh, about that everybody can head over get your t-shirt your be smart be rude don't be a victim uh, we've got some stickers as well and reasonable prices and uh, I'm I'm very excited about them I love them the t-shirts are soft quality. yeah mm-hmm. they're really good quality and um, so and then if yeah. you get them, take a picture, you know, of yourself in your shirt and tag us on Instagram and Facebook. And we might just have to do a contest or something and give something away for free. You know, in the Ramsey case you were just talking about, I do think, see, I don't think the letter's weird, but I think it's someone that knew them because the bonus was so of the dad they knew. So it had to be someone that knew him well, I think. I think that definitely someone that was aware uh, mm-hmm. also, you know, like she said that Santa was going to come visit her in a secret visit. That mm-hmm. actually doesn't mean as much to me as some people might place emphasis on it because it was Christmas. Everybody, mm-hmm. every kid, you know, Santa is going to come secretly in the night and leave mm-hmm. gifts. So that yeah, but she said that he told her that. Well, yeah, but if she sat on Santa's lap in a mall, of course he told her that. Like, to me, that's a red herring. I think that they got way off on that. I think it was a stranger on stranger or, like Mom said, someone that knew something about uh, the Ramses and had a vendetta against them, and they pounced. I think, But I think whoever it was was obsessed with that little girl and mm-hmm. um, and hated John Ramsey, possibly. So... It'll be interesting. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a Santa that showed up and that that actually was something that was, you know, that needed to be looked at closer. But I, I think it might be a red herring. So we'll see. We'll see what um, hopefully one day they'll come up with. I know he's getting older and it really makes me nervous that he's going to uh, pass away before he knows. Uh, I have a friend who met him. So he's one of the nicest men he's ever met. And he, he instantly knew who it was. You know, like he was going by a different name, but he instantly knew it was John Ramsey. And so that he was very nice and he's very successful still as a business person. Speaking of, that's our next case actually is a business person. All righty, let's go. This situation makes the O.J. Simpson case pale in comparison. Okay. I find that, that'll be hard to believe. I have to see proof. In fact, I just want to warn everybody from the start. It's going to make you mad. What occurs 
is going to make you mad because it's not just one injustice, it's one after the other. And it's the Colin Davis case in Fort Worth, Texas, which was a true crime of the century. And unfortunately, I feel that the victims, especially, excuse me, especially a teenage girl and a larger than man life or larger than life man have been overshadowed by the personalities in this case, including Colin Davis's and the legalities. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to outline the people that are involved in the case like I would a play. Elena, is there something going on? Are y'all being attacked? Is there a crime? Huh? He just came on. I said it was really loud. Ah. That's a big cut. Now, um, are y'all aware of the case? Because it was a very popular case in Texas. I remember. The name sounded familiar, but I have to see pictures. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely show you pictures. So Colin Davis was one of the richest men in America at the time of the crime. He was worth an estimated 400 to $500 million. Now, the amounts swing widely. You know, a lot of times people that are wealthy, they're asset rich and they're cash poor. That's usually the way they want it because of tax, you know, things and all that. His dad was an oil tycoon, Kenneth W. Stinky Davis. I'm not sure I'd want that name. And then his mother was Alice May Bound. Colin was born in Fort Worth in 1933, and then in 1958, Stinky founded Ken Davis Industries International, the world's largest oil supply company at the time. Stinky was straight-laced and a strict father who believed in hard work and modest living. Colin went to Arlington Heights High School, and both he and his brother attended Texas A&M University. It's rumored that his father sent them there because, quote, the, it was the hardest and the cheapest place he could think of. So you kind of get a picture of mm-hmm. this family dynamic already. Colin eventually entered the family business and he married a popular Fort Worth girl, Sandra Masters, in August. Um, was it 1992? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I, it might have been 1962. Wait, hang on. So he's born in 58, so it couldn't have been 62. Maybe 1972, 1982. I'm missing a number. And they had two sons. He said later that he did care for Sandra, but he married her more for the fact that his father liked her and others liked her. Colin was quiet, and he seemed like the obedient son, um, but he wanted to get away from his father's authority. So what I'm thinking is that Stinky which I don't know how anyone could take him seriously in business with that nickname, was he sounded harsh. He sounded like old school, you work, you're not going to get all my money even though we have it, you need to work for your own money and blah, blah. And so Colin is the quiet one. And over time, people started seeing, quote, a dark side. And it wouldn't surprise me, and based on what I feel his personality is, I think he would definitely be one that would go inward and get very angry and that could potentially explode later um, if he was provoked enough. And ruthless. Yeah, he was definitely ruthless. They said that he would act like a spoiled, angry, aggressive man who fantasized about getting rid of his wife if he got tired of her. Yeah, wow. so this is this is early on in his life. Um, I couldn't confirm that he ever said that. Again, it was just people... That knew him. But the thing is, is that when you talk to people after the 
the fact they always add, you know, they always add what they think the other person was thinking or what they meant by what they said and blah, blah. You don't know. You don't know unless that person specifically said what they said. So I don't know. I couldn't confirm if that was true. The other character is Priscilla Davis. She was born February 19th, 2001 as Priscilla Childers. Her family was poor, but she attracted the attention of some of the richest men in Texas due to her beauty. So let me just start getting some of these pictures up for you. Did you say 2001? She was born in 2001? Oh, that's funny. That's not right. No, that's not right. Wow. What was I thinking? Obviously, she wasn't born in 2001. He reminds me of Johnny Cash. Mm, yeah. So this is her. She's very pretty, very fit. This is him. Um, Those look like stripper boobs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There, there they are in the younger, younger years. So this was post-marriage uh, to Sandra. They're now dating. Yeah, she was a very colorful character as well. Um, you have a picture of her, of Sandra? No. Okay. Um, she was flamboyant. She was an extrovert. She was in your face, edgy, and did not give a rip. <laughs> she was married to car dealer Jack Wilburn, her second husband, when she met Colin. She and her husband played tennis doubles with Sandra and Colin, and they engaged in an illicit affair shortly after and both separated from their spouses. I don't know if this is accurate, but in 1968, they were still in legal divorce proceedings. Colin proposed to her, but she initially responded that they were just good friends. But that doesn't make sense to me because they eventually do end up marrying. On New Year's Day, 1969, Jack Wilburn hired private investigators to track down and storm the motel room where Davis had been living and found Priscilla there. So I don't know if they were caught in the act, but it did make national headlines. Because of that, Priscilla lost custody of her three children, Dee from her first marriage to Jasper Baker, and then Jackie and Andrea that were both from Jack. Colin later adopted Dee as his own, and Stinky, as you can imagine, did not approve of Priscilla. They married a few hours after his father's death, August 29th, 1969. Hey. Funny they waited till after he was dead. Not really. I I mean, he sounds overbearing. Yeah, he probably had power over him. That's. Yeah, there they are. Little introvert, extrovert situation going on. Now, the next character is this big guy right here. Oh, my gosh. Took like a giant. Stan Farr. He was a former Texas Christian University back- basketball star in 1966 to 1967. He was 6'9". He was a big guy with a big personality. And he was dating Priscilla at the time of the murder and living with Priscilla at Stonegate, the Davis's 10,000-square-foot mansion. Which I think, I, oh, yeah, here it is. Now, it's now torn down. It was over on Hewlin, I think. And uh, so they've torn it down for some, um, I think, like a, a strip, you know, store situation. But it looks very large, but also just weird. Like I don't think Colin and Priscilla were divorced then yet either. No, they weren't. 
Nuh-uh. So when her and Stan started dating, they were not divorced yet at all. But he was living in that house with Priscilla. Yeah, 6'9". Yeah, he is. Can you imagine? And I asked Stephen if he knew he was, and he did, because he was a Texas Christian University student. Now, Gus, let me see if I've got a picture of him. He's another character in the story. Um, I think the only one I have is him right here. He, uh, Gus Gavril was a victim who survived the shooting, which we'll get into, but he was paralyzed. He happened to be driving up to the mansion to drop off his girlfriend, Beverly, who was spending the night with Dee. Beverly was a friend of Dee Davis who was unharmed, but she was a witness to the events. And then there's Andrea Wilborn, and this is the one that I feel has been forgotten. And she is Priscilla's 12-year-old daughter who was fatally shot and killed in the first victim. And then you have a very colorful lawyer, Richard Racehorse Haynes. So you got Stinky and you got Racehorse. And he was a. You think he is? Yeah, I think so. What's his you name? Look it up. They call him Racehorse. Richard Haynes. Racehorse Haynes. Yeah, he was a famous defense lawyer who defended yeah. uh, plastic surgeon John Hill, was who was accused of murdering his wife, Joanne or Joan Robinson Hill, the daughter of Houston oil millionaire Ash Robinson. He was charged with her death because he withheld medical attention. He went on trial in 1971. It was a mistrial. But before he could be tried again, he was shot to death at the door of his River Oaks mansion. The hitman, ex-con Bobby Wayne Vandiver, was then shot by police in Longview before he was tried. There were rumors that her dad had worked with um, Lilla Paulus and Marcia McKittrick to kill Dr. Hill Robinson because he was convinced that he had killed his daughter and pressured the prosecutors to indict him, but there was no evidence and they wouldn't do it. So... Um, it's definitely a case maybe to dive into later, but did you find out if he's still alive? Of course, Haynes is, um, had a lot of high-profile cases. Is he still alive? No, he died um, a couple weeks after his birthday in 2017. Oh, okay. April 28th. And then there was another lawyer, Phil Burleson. That was the other defense attorney, and he defended Jack Ruby, who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay, so these are the main characters. Now let's get into the crime. And so let me pull the house back up. A lot of people. Yeah, it is. Okay, so after Colin's dad died, like I said, and they end up getting married for hours, but it was like Colin was unmasked and let loose from a prison. And any base nature or out-of-control behavior that was subdued by his dad was going to show up and with a vengeance. He went mm -hmm. on a worldwide spending spree. He emptied, emptied galleries of antiques, paintings, and other art objects. He built Stonegate Mansion in 1972. He spent $6 million on the huge estate that was described as looking like a municipal building from the outside. On the inside, it was pompously furnished, and Cullen had spent years collecting in addition, excuse me, in addition to his recent spree. It was rumored that wild parties filled with drugs and sex, sex orgies were taking place. Priscilla loved showing off her good looks and body. She underwent breast augmentation surgery. 
of which, you know, I don't have any problem. I'm not judging after she married Colin and she loved wearing exotic and revealing clothes. She also had a diamond necklace that said rich bitch. Priscilla, Priscilla seemed to be another object for Colin to display. And I'm sure she felt mutual benefit from the marriage, but behind closed doors, Colin was stern High disciplined and intolerant of mistakes. He hated failure in himself and those around him, just like in business, which he was pretty good at after his dad passed away. They seemed to get along well, despite his harshness in the beginning, and she seemed to adore him, and he gave her lots of gifts. But once they moved into Stonegate, Davis's dark side came out even more and aggressively. He was physically abusive toward Priscilla and Dee, One night, when Dee was 13, she forgot to lock the back door, which a lot of teenagers do. Colin discovered it, woke up to scold her, and punched her in the nose. Priscilla ran to defend her daughter when Colin grabbed a kitten that one of them was holding and slammed it on the floor and killed it. A year later, he slapped Dee again, and then she ran away from home. So by the summer of 1974... After about two years of repeated abuse and 911 calls that did nothing, Priscilla file, filed for a divorce. So he's obviously got anger issues. His violence is escalating. And so over the next several months, they hardly saw each other at all. And I'm not sure how it happened, but Priscilla was given Stonegate to live in by a judge, Joe Edison. And that must have burned Colin to no end because he loved that house. He was obsessed with Stonegate. He considered it one of his greatest achievements. She also... I think that house, so when she was in it, it was just temporary until the divorce was over. Mm-hmm. Because I remember watching it on news, what she did, what he did. I mean, you know, in the house, it's crazy. Yeah. And <laughs> she also got all the furnishings in there while she lived there. The Lincoln Continental Mark... Mark four, I have no idea what that is. Monthly support payments that kept going up as the divorce continued and got custody of D. The judge also put a restraining order prohibiting Colin from going to the mansion and ordered their assets to be frozen until they agreed on a settlement. So you can just picture you've got Colin Davis, who is violent and likes control. He has no control. His ex, soon-to-be ex, is living in his house, using his furnishings, driving his car, and he can't even step foot on the property. And his money's frozen. Yeah. 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 So That would make me insane. Crazy. What this meant for his business is that Colin couldn't do any business deals without the divorce court's permission. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why the judge did that. I mean, if they if he was afraid that Colin would hide energy or, or money or siphon it, maybe, but where you have to go and get permission for every business deal, you're not going to be able to do any business deal. Mm-hmm. And your reputation will get ruined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on top of that, Colin and his brother's brother were having troubles. His younger brother, Bill, filed a lawsuit against Colin saying that his older brothers, Colin and the other, were manipulating stocks and colluding together to rule him out, plus Colin's extravagant, Colin's, Colin's extravagant spending was jeopardizing the company. 
The suit was eventually settled out of court, but there was a rift between the brothers and Kenneth reprimanded Colin for the divorce dragging out because they're partners in the business. You can imagine how frustrating it was for them. <clears throat> now, both Colin and uh, Priscilla started dating different people. So let me pull up this the picture. Now, we know that Priscilla started dating, this is her with her daughter, um, started dating the basketball player, and then Colin started dating this lady. Her name is Karen Master. And then, you know, like I said, Priscilla was with Stan. Is so, she the one that had the son? The son? I met his, I thought it was her. Um, and she had a deaf son. And I used to see her every now and then in one of my stores because he liked the hamburgers there on Beverly Drive in uh, Fort Worth. Maybe. And I think, yeah. I have no idea. I don't. Very nice. Very nice. She seemed like she was really nice. Um, some say that Karen looked and dressed like Priscilla, but I don't think so. I mean, it looks like she's dressed very conservatively compared to Priscilla here. It's a bikini top. Yeah. Um, now, by the summer of 1976, Priscilla invited Stan to move in with her at Stonegate, and that took Colin's rage to a whole new level. I think she wanted him there because they were dating, but I also think she was scared. Stan was, you know, a huge 6'9 guy, and Priscilla was having premonitions and had hired security guards around the house. She said later, I found myself thinking that Colin would either kill us or kill himself. And what's sad is in all of this, I mean, it was so hard to find any information on the little girl. I mean, everybody's talking about, you know, Priscilla and Stan and, colon and you know I didn't even know a little girl was killed now I, I do remember dad talking about the case when I was a teenager on the road with him and he said that he believed that Colin was a hundred percent guilty and that there was an injustice that occurred but he felt really bad for the little girl and I had forgotten about the little girl until I started researching it and I'm like man you know it's like no one hardly mentions her and it's really sad because it was like a soap opera back then. Um, yeah. A lot of people thought he was guilty, in my opinion, back then. But, he, you know, money. On August 2nd, 1976, Judge Edison had given Priscilla a third alimony increase. She yeah. went to dinner with Stan and some friends that evening, and they stopped at the Rangoon Racket Club for a few drinks before returning to Stonygate, or Stonegate at 12.30 a.m., Priscilla noticed that the security locks were off. At this point, that would be the time to leave the house. If you are worried that your ex-husband wants to kill you and you notice that the security locks are off, don't go in. You know what I mean? Like get somebody there, get the police there and let them search the house before you go in. But she probably thought one of the kids forgot to lock them. So Stan, he goes in the house, upstairs the bedroom, Priscilla went to the kitchen, and that's when she noticed that the basement door was open, and she saw bloody prints on the wall. So she screamed for Stan. It was too late. A figure dressed in all black, wearing a black female wig and stocking, appeared and said, hi, and then shot her in the chest 
with a gun wrapped in a plastic, black plastic bag. She screamed again, and Stan ran down to the kitchen. He briefly struggled with the intruder, but was shot four times, two shots after he was already down. Now, this is surprising to me because he's such a big guy, and the fact that, you know, he wasn't able to get the gun away from him. But this is Priscilla during some of the trial uh, of Colin Davis, and, you know, she's still in a wheelchair at this point. Uh, Stan, you know, again, that huge guy wasn't able to save himself, and uh, he ended up uh, dying. This is him being put into the uh, um, ambulance. And then um, after that, okay, so Priscilla sees her boyfriend executed. She takes off running, and the intruder was trying to drag Stan's body away. He grabbed her, and she said that at this point she recognized it was Colin. She uh, told law enforcement that she said, Colin, I love you. I never loved anyone else. Why are you doing this? It appears that he paused long enough for her to break free and run. So he followed her and she said, please stop a minute. He then said, come on, come on, while trying to pick her up. She shouted and then he returned to the house. So it sounds like they're kind of like outside. Maybe they're struggling to get outside she ran mm-hmm. outside for help, and right when she runs out, a car's pulling up, and it was Gus, this guy that's on the the um, gurney here, that was dropping off his girlfriend Beverly to stay the night with Dee. Now, Dee had actually changed her plans and hadn't let Beverly know that she wasn't there. The shooter shot once at Gavril, hitting him and paralyzing him for life, and then Beverly ran away and was unharmed. Priscilla finally reached the neighbors who called for help and then the police arrived at the scene and they found one more body and it was little Priscilla or little Andrea. She had been shot in the chest lying in the basement. She was home after returning from a Bible study. That's cold blooded boy. Yeah. And all the, (laughs) the witnesses identified Colin as a shooter, all of them that were still alive. So he was arrested within hours of the attack, and he was at police headquarters, uh, you know, pretty quickly. But he was asked, like, why did so many have to die? Like, why, why were you killing all these people? And he said, quote, sometimes a man doesn't need a reason. So, that, I, I mean, thought, that's a confession. I thought um, someone was killed out on the grass on the property. Mm-mm. The guy was um, shot and paralyzed, but. Okay, because I, I vaguely remember someone running out and getting behind a tree and was shot. Well, was Priscilla shot. was shot in the chest. Yeah, but that was in the house, right? Mm-hmm. The only person okay. I know that he shot outside was uh, Gus. So he wasn't read his Miranda rights at this point, so the prosecution could not bring that up in trial. A day after his arrest, he posted the $80,000 and was released. But on August 20th, he was arrested while boarding his private jet jet for a business trip to Houston. He didn't have any luggage or a passport, but prosecutors felt that he could change his flight plans after takeoff, and the jet had enough fuel to fly 2,500 miles. He might have been going to Houston for the business trip and planned on returning, 
But the fact that he could just do, think he could do whatever he wanted shows the pride that this dude had. Um, I actually think he probably would have gone back to Fort Worth because he's that arrogant. Um, but they decided to go ahead and remand him because they felt that he was a flight risk. And then they charged him with capital murder uh, for Andrea, and he was held without bail. And that's when he hired Racehorse Haynes and Phil Burleson as defense attorneys. Now, this was surprising to me. Before the trial began, and I'm wondering if you remember um, this, because you said it seemed like people were against him, but for, from what I read, public opinion was actually for him. He was rich, a local celebrity. He had prestige. Some baked cookies for him while he was in prison. Um, I think some maybe thought they could get some financial benefit later. Priscilla, on the other hand, in public opinion, was a floozy. And looked on with suspicion as if she identified him as a shooter, you know, by lying that he was a shooter. And then she didn't help her cause when she showed up on a little house in the prairie dress with a dangling gold cross and a Bible. People hated her. I remember that. And they liked him. And he knew lawyers and judges. And poor me. It wasn't me. And they hated her. It was originally thought they said she was a stripper. She didn't have her kids. She was horrible. And when she was made, what didn't help her either, when she was made to leave the house eventually, because he did win for her to leave, um, she destroyed a lot of stuff in the house. Yeah, I heard that. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, everyone loved him, though. In the picture showed with her in the wheelchair, she's wearing something that you know definitely shows her legs, Mm -hmm. and they're crossed in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, her showing up in a little house in the prairie attire obviously was fake. You know, that's not how she is. And back then, that picture was on the TV all all the time. And she would have been better to wear her normal clothes, just maybe a little more modest. Right. So that, and he had a lawyer. I don't think her lawyer was that great, but he had a really good lawyer. Yeah, racehorse is really good. Um, now, the judge ordered a mistrial right off the bat because of the publicity of the case and jury misconduct. The trial was moved to Amarillo, Texas. The defense loved this move because... Colin would appeal, appeal to the more conservative jury there, and Priscilla would be judged yep. and received with a lot of skepticism. 
Yeah. You could look at her and once you'd open her mouth, people hated her. Yeah. Now, the case was purely sec- uh, circumstantial. And then, of course, the eyewitness testimonies. The defense shot down the evidence and the witnesses with no problem whatsoever. They had so many theories on who actually committed the crime. And that's a defense tactic. So they'll throw out, like, just, you know, this theory and that theory and this theory and that theory. And it'll get so muddled in the jury's mind with so many possibilities that they'll just have a reasonable doubt and they'll say not guilty. One of the theories was that Priscilla conspired with Bass, Bass and Gavril to frame her estranged husband and get the money. Now, this is far-fetched. The dude's paralyzed for life. And the fact that she executed her own daughter and then shot herself and shot her boyfriend and a couple who just happened to show up doesn't make any sense. But again, like you said, they hated her. And they felt it was a possibility. So it's definitely a character assassination. And it doesn't sound like she helped herself at all. She didn't. Also, a false affidavit was leaked to the press, but it wasn't allowed in the trial. And it painted Priscilla as a promiscuous woman who was friends with drug dealers and forced her daughter Dee to do drugs and have sex orgies with her. Yep, but that was a house where they did drugs and had orgies. There were rumors. There was never any evidence that was the case. And so this false affidavit is leaked out, you know, to further that idea that that was going on before and they involved Dee, the daughter. So I don't know if they were having orgies, but... Oh, I thought that's what she originally said after he built the house or moved into it. Well, I said there were rumors. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it's funny. I remember that. I remember her. They were saying so much about her that she had orgies and just spent his money still and was, you know, didn't care for kids. Was dead they probably not. said she was a gold digger because she was from a poor background. I remember that too. Yeah. It was a weird case. Then they threw out another theory that Stan was the real target because they said he was involved in drugs too. So, they, they had so many suspects that they began, the defense was later called the ABC, anybody but colon defense. <laughs> Karen Master testified that she saw her boyfriend in bed to her, uh, in bed next to her the night of the murders and that Colin couldn't have done it. But Colin himself couldn't remember if he was home or not. Colin Davis is, he, he was a known liar. He was just, I don't know. Well, the strategy worked. He was acquitted November 17th, 1977. After he was acquitted, he threw a huge party and even invited the judge, the jury, and the press. Priscilla, Stan Farr's family, and Gus Gavril's attorneys filed civil suits. Andrea's wrongful death suit ended in 87 with a hung jury. He settled out of court with the other two. Later, authorities learned that Davis had bribed a DA investigator to feed him information about the prosecution strategy. That's crazy. But it didn't stop there. (laughs) Elena's face. I warned you. This is a case that makes you mad. Well, let me let me just say real quick. So cases just baffle me because you have evidence 
that it was him. He was seen not just by Priscilla, but by others, right? Well, here's the thing. Yes, Gus says that it was him. Priscilla said that when she started fighting with him, she she realized it was him. Eyewitness testimony is very unreliable. No, I get that. But my point was going to be like, you have that potential. You see these people. There's several. But then the other case that we just did, there's not one person that actually saw him. Right. <laughs> it, it's baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Of course, we had cameras and things like that on the the photo sh- you know, situation where they could track him with you know cell phone and all of that as well. Back then, they didn't have this. But I have to say, I believe he got off because of the character assassination of Priscilla and that no one liked her. But the evidence was weak. They did not present a gun. They never found the wig. They never found the clothes. You've got the girlfriend saying he was with her, in spite of Colin saying he doesn't know if he was home or not. Um, It really was a weak case, and it's almost like they rushed it to trial and it was such a I'm sure there was a lot of pressure because of the you know all of the press around it and and so I wish they would have slowed down and maybe gotten more evidence to support because I'm not sure that I would have trusted the eyewitness reports for Colin plus he he was a millionaire he he had money to pay people off do you think back then the persona was that millionaires just don't kill people. Like, do you think that might've been part of the, the thoughts as well? He knew a lot of people. I know he knew one of the judges, but he had a lot of power. I could see that people thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked when everyone was destroying Priscilla. So Cullen, I mean, he was probably like an altar boy. They had pictures of him in the, in the, um, after the trial and stuff and he was grinning and, Real, he was just so arrogant, you know, and then he went on to get married to Karen and then Priscilla led a quiet life. And well, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, it wasn't quite as quiet as you say, but this is uh, him with a uh, racehorse. And then um, this is him, I believe, after the verdict. And then this is him later, which we'll get into. Okay, Tarrant County DA, Tim Curry, decided not to immediately go after Colin for the murder of Stan Farr, the attempted murder of Priscilla and Gavril, which I think part of it was they needed evidence, like the gun, the fibers, and the wig. But in the Mm -hmm. 70s, you know, it would have been harder to do that. They didn't have cameras, DNA, and uh, they relied heavily on the eyewitness ID. In August of 1978, their divorce was still not finalized, and he was growing more and more frustrated. Davis had acquired a new company and hired a guy named David McCrory, the PI who provided the defense team with the false affidavit on Priscilla that wasn't allowed in court, but was leaked to the press. He was hired as an assistant to the company president. Davis asked McCrory to arrange the murders of 15 people including the judge over his divorce case, his wife, and two witnesses that implicated him in the mansion murders, Beverly Bass and Gus Gavril. McCrory went to the FBI, 
They create a sting to catch Davis on tape and red-handed by discussing the hit and exchanging money for it. On August 18th, they fitted McCrory with a wire, gave him a photograph of Judge Edson lying in a trunk of a car wearing a ketchup-soaked T-shirt. They also gave McCrory the judge's ID cards as proof he was dead. McCrory got on tape, and he said, I got Judge Edson dead for you, and Colin said, good, and then gave him an envelope of $25,000. McCrory said, I'll get the rest of them dead for you, you want a bunch of people dead, right? And Colin said, all right. And then he was arrested after the meeting. Okay, so now we have a second trial. That's a weird response. I wonder if he was catching on to say, all right. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sherry, can you do pause real quick? Uh, no. It's okay if you can't. Um, well... I, I, I've got two things going, huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, and we're almost done. So Ray's horse is hired a second time to defend Colin. He used the same tactics as he used in the first one, challenging the credibility of the main witness, which was McCrory and offering a plausible alternative to why Colin was there. So Colin testified that he was the one undercover for the FBI and his net, he named an agent, Jim Acree, as the one who contacted him to play along with McCrory as part of an operation to uncover conspiracy to extort and do harm to him by making it appear he was hiring a hitman. Acree admitted meeting with Colin months before, but he said it had nothing to do with the McCrory story. I would like to know why he contacted him, but he denies it had anything to do with what Colin was saying. They also put forth another theory that Priscilla set Colin up as a way to get even with him. Individuals testified that they saw her with McCrory. The fact that McCrory was an ex-con didn't help, and he was later, later charged with aggravated perjury. Davis's fingerprints were not found on any of the critical pieces of evidence, like the photo or the money, which is weird. That the, is sort of weird. The jury deadlocked with the majority in favor of Colin's innocence. Later in a new trial, a linguistics professor testified that Colin's words on the tape didn't constitute solicitation of murder. I don't even know. How are you even coming up with that? Wonder what does. I have no idea. And they also said that Mercury was manipulating the uh, conversation so once again, he was acquitted November 1979. Lucky man. And it gets worse. Uh-oh. <laughs> the divorce was finally decided, but this time it couldn't be with Judge Edson due to an obvious conflict of interest. Colin got Stonegate back. Priscilla got a settlement of $3.5 million and kept 50 household items from the estate. She married... Jack Strickland, the prosecutor of Colin's trial. She she moved to Dallas. She spent the next decade spending her money. She had $1.1 million balance at Neiman Marcus in 1982. Wow. A balance. She was an alcoholic, and she realized one day she didn't have any money. 
So she moved into a one-bedroom apartment in 1991, and she died of breast cancer February 1st, 2011, at the age of 59. So I don't know when her and Jack split up, but I'm assuming at this point they had. Davis married Karen Master on June 5th, 1979. He later adopted her two sons. So that's probably one of the ones you were talking about that was deaf. He did lose his fortune during the recession of the 80s, which I remember when the oil crashed. Uh, We lived in Odessa, Texas, and boy, everything went downhill from there for my dad. And, uh, And then he sold Stonegate to a real estate developer in 84, and then he filed bankruptcy in 87 and never rebuilt his fortune. So... Before I summarize, what do y'all think about this situation? Oh, he got away with everything. I think money talks. Yeah. And the fact that, um, especially back then, Priscilla was a, a unsavory character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everything got blamed on the victims. Later, when they talked to the jury... Um, they said that there was never any doubt in their mind that he was innocent, that they just believed he was innocent, and that was it. And he's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Did he write a book? Someone wrote a book. I don't know. Somebody? I don't remember coming across a book. It's just a shame she got hardly any money through the divorce. Of course, that's a lot of money back then, but still, he had millions. Yeah. He did spend 612 days in jail awaiting trial. Stonegate has since been demolished. It's on. It was on the western boundary of Colonial Country Club to Holland Street. It was 182 or 181 acres. Hewlin. Hewlin. Okay. Didn't they make, this was a rumor, I don't know for a fact, but didn't they open his house for tourists at one time? I think or- I read something about that in my research. Yeah, something. Now, before it was demolished, evangelist James Robinson held tent revivals on the property after Colin became a born-again Christian and Robinson became his mentor. His conversion happened during all of his legal troubles centered around wrongful death. Of course, we know later he tried to hire a hitman. I think that if he was truly converted, coming clean and possibly not hiring a hitman would have been a consideration. I know it would have taken courage, but still. Uh, and maybe he was truly innocent. I don't think he was. I think he's as guilty as you know you can get. Later, people felt that the jury just could not believe that someone this rich would do this. Polls showed that 70% of residents felt the prosecutors were, quote, pursuing a vendetta against Colin Davis. Prosecutors believe the motive was how the divorce was going, he was paying $5,000 a month plus her legal fees of $25,000 and household expenses of $24,000. And this is in the 80s, right? Or the late 70s. I mean, so this is, that's a lot of money compared to today. Here's one of Racehorse's techniques that had the jury hating Priscilla week two of the 13-week trial. And this is a quote. Sometimes he did it with props, like the famous photograph of Priscilla and W.T. Ruffner the one where T-Man posed naked except for a Christmas stocking covering his genitals. genitals. Through the pic- though the picture was never admitted into evidence, the jury was able to see it quite clearly since Racehorse had printed it on nearly transparent paper. 
And sometimes he did it with wondrous phrasing, the innuendo clinging to his lips like feathers. The Ruffner scenario was largely designed to convince the jury that Priscilla, the two-worlder, the Queen Bee, entice her daughter D and other teenage girls into drug and sex orgies with disreputable men twice their age, many of them convicted drug dealers. Valerie Marazzi, one of Dee Davis's teenage friends, told the jury of an evening when she, Priscilla Ruffner, and Larry Myers were all naked in Myers' bed. T-Man got the idea they ought to change partners, Valerie said, so Priscilla crawled over on Myers' side of the bed. Valerie and Ruffner watched while the other couple had sexual intercourse. His mentor, Percy Foreman, impressed on Haynes the importance of the voir dire examination, which is the questioning of potential jurors by attorneys for both sides. Know your jurors, Foreman told Haynes, not just their names, ages, occupations, and religious preferences. Know their politics, their economic history, their family history, their medical history, their superstitions, their tolerance for human suffering, their ability to conceptualize and follow complex scenarios. A jury is like a computer, Haynes says. Twelve components working together, scanning, observing, sworn to pay attention, a formidable machine. Juries in criminal cases are required to render a unanimous verdict in order to convict. If Haynes picked his jury right, he felt he could convince at least one of the twelve that cobras make honey. So he just threw out all this sex stuff. And I don't know what the girl had to gain about it because Dee denied that stuff happened. Um, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, I don't know. But in spite of the fact that a DA was bribed to feed on the prosecution strategy, nothing could be done. The statute of limitations was over. Judge Pete Moore, who presided over the second trial for the Hitman case, said that Racehorse, quote, just about brought the system to its knees. The entire system has been abused, and I don't like it. It was a circus, but jurors loved Racehorse, and they loved Colin. And attendees of the trial were in love with Colin, the DA's bribed, antics and shenanigans, and proof that money protects one from going to jail. Yeah, true. Didn't Colin uh, stay married to her till his death? I think so. And yeah, um, married to a long time. I mean, do y'all think it was bigger than OJ? Well, no. Back in the time, in the day, I think so, but no. Well, that's what I mean. I think it was. I think, you know, it was a huge deal. And to this day, I mean, you know, you mentioned Colin Davis. And uh, so I think it would probably be alongside the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, you know, it was definitely a big deal in, you know, y'all's backyard. Congratulations. People can mention him now and they know who he is. Yep. Yep, I did. It's okay. You know, I'm trying to get the, if you do the, you know, this, it's supposed to play a storm. Oh, there we go. Y'all are terrible people. We're lovely people. Terrible. So even though the next case after this is um, uh, Larry Jean Bell, this is our last recording for season four. I love doing our podcast, but I have to say, this has been the most difficult year to ever get these things recorded, and I am very happy that we have been able to do it 
I'll be able to get them online after editing and they will drop uh, Halloween. It has been a trip. What about you guys? I bet y'all are like, thank goodness. And I like doing them in person. I was just worried we weren't going to, well, I knew we'd get them done, but I knew it was going to be sort of tough because it's been a difficult year. Yeah. And a weird year, but we got it done. Yeah. When I started feeling, when I started feeling bad last night, I'm all, (laughs) hell will freeze over before I do not show up. I'll just down a whole bunch of Tylenol and a whole whole bunch of ibuprofen and I am showing up. The only thing that was going to stop me is if I didn't have a voice and that did not go away. I called her today, you know, at my time on every Sunday, she texts, I'm trying to lose my voice. So no, reserve my voice. Her, your vo- her voice. Yeah. All right. We did it. So it's time to end with our saying, hit us She's off. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah. Be rude. Don't be a victim. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Ah!